welcome to our first podcast for Osteoscience Foundation, Generations of Regeneration. My name is Andrea Boydman and I'm the Executive Director. I'm joined with Dr. Myron Tucker, who is our Science and Education Liaison. And our very first guest is uh, somebody who's actually been involved with Osteoscience Foundation since the very beginning, first on our Scientific and Clinical Review Committee and now on our Education Committee where he leads our Clinical Observership Program, Dr. Dan Spagnoli. Thank you, Dan, for joining us today. So it's a real pleasure to be with you. Thanks. So Dan, the reason uh, that we asked you to do this first, uh, we are trying to focus on regenerative medicine and um, there are very few, if any, any people out there that have done as much clinical, uh, scientific uh, research and involved in all aspects of regenerative medicine. Um, I had the, uh, I've had the opportunity to know you for 30 years and practice with you for nearly 20 years. So we thought this would be a the perfect setup to get us started here. So we, we really appreciate you joining us. Uh, to start out with, if you would just kind of give us a quick rundown of your uh, educational background and uh, how you went from your uh, undergraduate college education through your maxillofacial training with uh, a little bit of a different path than uh, most people take. So uh, let us know how this all happened. Sure. Um, uh, you know, like most of us, I just started off uh, undergraduate school, um, West Virginia Wesleyan College, a smaller school, real focus on academics and a, a lot of laboratory science um, with a lot of opportunities to start research as an undergrad. Um, certainly piqued my interest um, in um, medical sciences. Uh, went on to West Virginia University School of Medicine, uh, Department of Anatomy. And have great mentors there, uh, Don Enlow for one, Rich Fredrickson. Uh, my focus was in you know, connective tissue biology, ectodermal, mesodermal interactions, and um, regenerative uh, sciences. And um, picked up my master's degree, my PhD. Uh, went on to the University of Pittsburgh, um, worked with a wonderful um, mentor, uh, Dr. Chris Widnell, anatomy and cell biology. And I you know, finished my fellowship in cell molecular biology at Pitt. Uh, the world was changing a little bit and my interest was becoming very focused on bone regeneration and actually Dr. Enlow had told me when I was a youngster, Dan, if you want to understand how to regenerate bone, you have to understand how it develops in the first place and he certainly was one of the gurus in that field. So uh, back to West Virginia University, uh, completed dental school at West Virginia, had some great teachers all throughout school, all the departments thought I had, gave me a, a good uh, foundation, but uh, certainly the, uh, the folks in the oral surgery, uh, um, uh, Dave Latanzi, Les Bacos, uh, um, you know, all the folks there really, really, really took me under their wing and um, led me to the oral surgery uh, pathway, um, was fortunate to be accepted by Dr. Kent um, who's been a lifelong mentor to me still to this day, um, and uh, you know, finished my residency at LSU and Charity. Um, education really continued because once I got into private practice, uh, and it's kind of a mixed private academic practice in Charlotte. You know, I had the privilege of you know, practicing with Myron, who's been a great mentor to me as well. Um, and uh, so, uh, you know, throughout my career, I've just been blessed by really having great people to give me guidance. 
Great. So what was it that made you decide to go into a career in oral and maxillofacial surgery as opposed to, say, continuing on a research track? So um, a very interesting question is that I really enjoy the basic science aspects of what we do. And um, I know sometimes people will say I overenjoy it, but I also like the clinical application and taking that to the patient. I really enjoy patient interaction. Um, so the, being able to blend my research interests, my basic science interests with some applied research and then clinical application, it's just been the book best of all worlds for me. Um, I, I just love, I've, I've been blessed. I've had a wonderful career. I love what I do. I love all the people I work with and all the patients I care for. Well, Dan, having practiced with you for um, so long, I think there are a lot of special uh, qualities that I could talk about, but I think one of the unique things about you um, you're in one of the two groups of people that I, I feel do the most amazing things in, in science. Uh, engineers, biomedical engineers in particular, and people that have PhD training, as you did, I think have a different outlook on, on life and solutions. Um, just us regular doctors, we wake up in the morning and we um, we have some ideas about things, but uh, we know it's not always going to work. Um, UPHD and biomedical engineering uh, background people, I think you honestly believe that if you were given enough time and enough resources that you could figure out just about any problem. And as I practiced with, practiced with you, I saw this with um, refinement of rigid fixation, distraction osteogenesis, your BMP research. Um, you just figure, eventually uh, you'll get it figured out. So having said that, if um, you know, you've been involved in so many different aspects of, of research, but if you look back over say the past two decades, what do you think are the two or three uh, most important developments, particularly in the regenerative uh, medicine area, your BMP2 one would obviously stand out, but uh, what, do, what do you think are the two or three biggest things over the past two decades? Well, especially with, you know, the regenerative field is, is having um, uh, growth factors or cytokines available to us in clinical practice. And um, uh, certainly the experience with bone morphogenetic proteins, but other growth factors too. Um, now having autogenous growth factors with PRPs and uh, PR, uh, PRFs and, and, and some of the, the autogenous products. Uh, some cell-based ther therapies with, with BMAC, things that we can do right in our own operatories. So I think the combination of, of, of you know, the, the, the whole triangle of cells, growth factors, and constructs um, has really benefited our patients where we can have more exact and effective reconstructive surgery that's less invasive. And this is an ongoing field. I mean, even um, osteoscience is funding multiple papers or multiple research projects in, involving growth factors, constructs, et cetera. And uh, this field will continue to grow. Yeah. So I, um, I always get the same answer when I ask this question, but outside of funding, what would you say are the biggest hurdles in the foreseeable 
foreseeable future in terms of advances in regenerative medicine? So it's a long pathway and it takes a lot of dedication. Um, and it really does require somewhat of that public-private partnership where we have funding together with private and or university labs that can carry a project, you know, that they're willing to commit 10 years to. Because for most products to go from inception to delivery, it's going to be a minimum of 10 years. Um, just the way things work with the FDA. Um, right now, um, most new biologics are going to go through the biological part of the FDA. Uh, whereas when we did the BMP research, it went through the, the, the device part. Um, that's a longer pathway. Um, there's more knowledge now, now than we had before. So, uh, you know, and there's just so many behind the scenes costs as well. Uh, right. Sometimes folks don't realize you can get a, a new product or a new growth factor through a, an FDA PMA, which is, you know, a, a, a novel product. But then even after that, you have to spend millions of dollars just validating the production of that product. So it's, it's a long pathway. Um, a lot of laboratory work, preclinical work, safety and efficacy are the two words they're going to look for. You've got to prove safety and you have to prove efficacy to get something, you know, so that we can take and use it in our patients. Um, I think right now, you know, we are still mostly using natural constructs, you know, ones that are derived um, from living tissues, per se. Um, we're using some growth factors that are um, uh, recombinant proteins, and we're using others that are, are delivered from the patient themselves. Well, Dan, that kind of brings me to a thought about uh, residency training. Um, looking 20 years ago, um, autogenous bones, gold standard for just about everything. And now we've added all of these other things. 20 years from now, it's conceivable that we might not use any of that autogenous stuff, or we might harvest little tiny uh, pieces of bone to develop some stem cells. But uh, what do you think the difference in residency training 20 years from now is going to be compared to 20 years ago? That's, uh... You know, I, I think that technology and advances in technology, communication sciences, um, how they affect diagnostic sciences will be creating ongoing changes in residency as it is already. Um, uh, I think in terms of surgery, we'll see more and more navigation more uh, you know, guided surgeries, navigated surgeries, things that are going to improve safety and efficacy, you know, accuracy, accuracy, safety, and efficacy, which they kind of come together. And um, I believe that all of that's going to happen. Even if we are going to procure bone, we'll probably it'll be guided, you know, things of this okay. nature, um, very minimally invasive. Um, uh, try to reconstruct the human body without injuring it. Uh, which is a, which has really been a goal we've had for a long time, and um, you know we made we you know, we made some some strides, but we're far from being where where, where we will be within 20 years. Um, but there's so much good research going on at so many sites, and you've heard me say this before. To me, the the most important thing is putting a lot of brains to work. 
putting a lot of people to work thinking and coming up with solutions and designing protocols for research. So we have prospective studies. And um, the good news is that there's, there's a, lot of, a lot of it going on. Uh, you know, biomimetic constructs, constructs that are carriers and space maintainers, cell therapies, um, cytokines. So it's, it's, you know, even in, even in modification of hormone therapies, you know, things we're seeing like with recombinant parathyroid hormone now for our, for our osteoporotic patients, we can reverse those patients, you know, with, with effective drugs now, which significantly changes our, our reconstructive outcomes. So a lot of manipulations. Well, it sounds like there's a lot to learn. Um, and, you know, thinking about all of these developments and advancements, I know that the Clinical Observership Program from Osteoscience Foundation is a program that's particularly close to your heart and you've been very involved in it. Um, what are some of the, the benefits that you see as a, a mentor in that program? Um, why is this a, you know, an important program in your opinion for residents? Well, it's been a real joy to be able to participate in the program. And, you know, here, it's a two-way street. Here we have uh, those of us that are now outside of universities in a private practice setting, but yet treating a very interesting patient population, uh, applying some good reconstructive techniques, real-world application. And then we take these bright, young uh, men and women who are uh, our current oral surgery residents, and we have a chance to spend some time with them, you know, one-on-one -on -one in, in, in the real-world setting. And I think that, you know, we gain from, from the energy and the great questions and, and, and the way they're thinking, and then they gain from the experience of the mentor and how they are addressing those everyday problems in the real world. So it's a great balance. Um, uh, I, I've been blessed to have uh, just a number of fine young men and women uh, share some time with me and uh, hope I get to continue to do it for a long time. We hope so too. <laughs> and, um, you know, we practice together for a long time and our, our practice really um, seemed very much like an academic institution a lot of times. We did a lot of research, we did a lot of publication, and then I know both of us get this question all the time. What's your, what's your advice to young people coming out of a residency program, they want to really go into private practice, but they want to continue that academic mindset and have that diverse practice like, like we had. And what are a couple of tips that you would give them to, um, you know, try to stay in that, in that arena in their private practice? You know, I think it starts with being a really good student of our science, whether that be clinical, basic, or applied. And, and, and focusing on an area that you really, really enjoy working on because you have to like doing it if you're going to take the time and effort and energy to be involved in a research program. Um, but yet there's a lot of work that can be done in the clinical private practice uh, setting. Um, having, good, having good support. Um, we were blessed in Charlotte with great partners who really supported and backed up what we were doing. You know, we had, a, we had an amazing situation there. Um, 
And it also drove more and more patients you know, towards our research studies. Some of the ones that you had with you know, large neurosensory studies, rigid fixation studies, some of the things we were doing with BMPs and joint replacements and arthroscopy. So um, uh, I think uh, being in the right place, being focused, and then um, you have to go out and create um, some alliances. You, know, you, you need to find you know, the, the right support, like an osteoscience or a, uh, an Amos Foundation type of support. Uh, to get things started, perhaps some corporate support. Um, and then you've got to allocate your time because it's going to be extra time if you want to do this. You've got to take some, some time that somebody else might be you know, doing some other passion or some other pastime, and your pastime is your research. Well, so my follow-up question to that then would be, um, starting next Monday, I know our world is a little different right now in the midst of this pandemic, but if if we were under sort of normal circumstances, what would be your ideal week next week? You know, what kind of cases would you do? Who, who would be around you? And what, 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 what would be the activity in your office? Well, um, you know, you may you know that the, the anesthesiologists that work with you and I for years, Charles Jemmy still works with me here. And, you know, uh, you know, as soon as the ball gets rolling, you know, we've got seven straight days lined up of general anesthesia cases with major reconstructions, you know, where we're drawing bone marrow and using, you know, BMPs and other cytokines and, you know, doing various graphs and reconstructions and everything from vestibuloplasties up to mandible reconstructions. And, um, you know, and then we're you know, on the practical end, following up with some of those patients with, you know, various types of guided full arch implant surgery. So, um, but, but reconstructive surgery is still what makes me tick. You know, and, and we do a, a large amount of it and, and we love doing it. That's great. So I guess, um, you know, in, in closing, are there any other people that you think we should reach out to? Um, people that, that have something interesting to say about regenerative medicine and how that shaped their careers. Um, can you suggest anybody else that we should talk to? Well, I mean, there, there's, there's a large number of people that, that do this now and um, probably good to look at some of the younger people as well, but certainly in terms of some of my, you know, group is, you know, first Dr. Bob Marks, who you know well, who's been a, a mentor to all of us. Um, certainly from our own board, you know, we, we've got uh, Dr. Malmquist and Dr. Moy, both of which bring that private uh, practice, but yet a lot of research and lecturing and teaching to, to play um, um, a little bit more on the university side, you know, Dr. Herford. Um, uh, you know, there, there's so many individual. I guess we could sit here and talk forever, but those are a couple that just roll off my tongue, maybe because I communicate with them a little more often. Great. Well, thank you so much for your time today. This has been, it's always interesting to talk to. I always learn something new and I really appreciate your time. It's been a real pleasure. Thank you. Andrea, you want to say a word about the uh, webinar series? Yes, thank you, Myron. Um, so we are going to be having a new webinar series that will be introduced in tandem with our podcast series. So Dr. Spagnoli will be doing 
a web lecture for us that will be available on our website. So um, you can learn a little bit more about the types of research and the types of uh, clinical work that Dr. Spagnoli does in an upcoming webinar. So we hope that you'll check that out as well. So, Great. Thank you. Well, Dan, thanks so much for your time today and Andrew for organizing this and uh, um, I think this is a great start to um, our series of uh, generations of regeneration. So thanks. Have a great rest of your day, and uh, we look forward to talking with you in the future. To learn more about Osteoscience Foundation, visit osteoscience.org or follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn.